On a dark, wooded road, you wander through the night. You're familiar with your surroundings as you step so surely on, but tonight is different. The snap of a twig catches you off guard, and you begin to hear something. It's low at first, but there's something there. You know you can hear it. Though the fear within you courses through your being, screaming for you to run and find safety, something else is there inside, compelling your curiosity and making you hesitate. Something inside wants to know. You're listening to Whispers in the Night. <laughs> Welcome back to Whispers in the Night. My name is Sang. I'll skip the last name this time. As always, this is a podcast that combines fact, fiction, and folklore into each episode to dig into and explore the things that we fear most. Of course, all of these things that we bring to you, we bring straight from the Midwest. Thank you so much for stopping by. Well, Halloween is upon us. Are you as excited as I am? We had a couple of goodies leading up to this episode, and I hope that you really enjoyed them. For one, uh, we had that amazing production of Soren Narnia's Presence, done completely by Jacob Murphy, who also performed in it alongside our guest, Aaron Lillis. Next, I shared my mom's true paranormal stories. Um, if you haven't listened to any of these, you should really get on it. It's a, it's a real treat, I promise. And lastly, we just wrapped up a giveaway on social media that was brought to you by TeePublic um, to try to gain a little bit more exposure for the show. We had some uh, pretty badass prizes that are currently finding their way to the winners. If you missed out, no worries. Uh, I'm sure that we'll have another one soon. If you like the show, help us to gain some exposure. We're on social media if you search the name of the podcast, and I'm always in on hearing your thoughts about the show in the form of a raving review. Seriously, you can literally pause what you're doing right now, pause the show, it'll only take a second, uh, and tell me what you think about the podcast. If you're driving, maybe just wait until you're not. You know, let's be safe, okay? Otherwise, I'm all ears. Tonight's episode is all about paranormal investigation. We have a couple of great guests on the show tonight, and I'm excited to introduce you to them, along with a great piece of audio fiction to send our frights home with you. But first, let's take a quick break. We're back. It's Whispers in the Night. I'm Sang. As I said before the break, we are taking a peek into paranormal investigation in tonight's episode. And, let's face it, we've all seen some sort of TV show about investigating things that go bump in the night. Uh, black v-necks, spiky hair, expensive looking equipment, sometimes they call in a psychic medium or collab with another show from the same network. Um, the TV show intro is usually some kind of a, a montage of investigation clips with some edgy music and a monologue about some kind of, I don't know, uh, tormented childhood. 
we get it. But when we actually think about investigating something that so few have seen or experienced, we might wonder where it even began or how could one even attempt to understand it? That's an age-old question that the world is still working on. In fact, paranormal investigation goes way back to the dawn of time, even before written history. Mankind has always, at least when we're not running for our lives, uh, we've always been curious about the otherworldly and the unexplained. For centuries, we've thrived to put an explanation to the, well, to the unexplainable. Formal and scientific investigation got its start way back in the 18th century. Uh, back in 1882, the very first organization of its kind was starting to take flight in London, England. Its purpose, to explore the unknown, the unseeable, and the unexplainable. Uh, simply put, this organization was formed to find the reasons why things go bump in the night. They officially became known as the Society for Psychical Research and described themselves as the first society to conduct organized scholarly research into human experiences that challenge contemporary scientific models. This organization broke down barriers in the fields of contemporary research by applying scientific principles to look into proving and disproving things like the existence of apparitions, psychic abilities, uh, whether or not ectoplasm was real, among other things like thought transference and uh, the look into seances. I mean, they would actually assign teams to go out to haunted locations way back in 1882. I don't know about you, but I imagine a bunch of scholarly, uh, gentlemanly-looking guys showing up at a creepy location with these massive machines and testing equipment along with apparatuses. Apparati? Apparati? I don't know. And at the time, this very concept that people could investigate things was catching on. Only two years after the Society for Psychical Research began in London, America was forming one of its very own in New York City. But later, places like Boston would create their own society, and it just kind of caught on to all of these cities all around the world. Some notable investigations that you might have heard about by the London Society for Psychical Research are the Enfield Poltergeist and Borley Rectory, which is a Victorian house that is infamous for being the most haunted house in London. Of course, the rise of investigations of this nature only paved the way for future and more prominent figures in the paranormal community. You all know Ed and Lorraine Warren, right? The two are self-taught demonologists who worked very closely together. Uh, Lorraine, a self-professed clairvoyant and medium. They're famously known by The Conjuring Films, uh, The Annabelle Doll. They looked into the Amityville house, among countless other investigations into hauntings and paranormal events. These two founded the oldest ghost hunting group, the New England Society for Psychic Research, in 1952. They also authored many books describing many of the events that happened in the supposed 10,000 cases that they took on during their career. The two were also present for some of the events that happened in Enfield, where they claimed in certainty that the happenings were the result of a case of demonic possession. Now, that brief history brings us to modern day, into sensationalized television shows, 
that quote-unquote investigate the paranormal, uh, like I mentioned, spiky hair, v-necks, expensive equipment. But you don't need a loud facade to do any of it, right? So how does one investigate the paranormal? The concept is actually, it's pretty simple, actually, um, and almost anyone can do it, even you. Yeah, I know, I, I can pretty much hear all of your eyes rolling, but I mean it. Uh, anyone can investigate the paranormal. But to properly fill you in on more, I reached out to Blaine Duncan. He's a paranormal investigator with the Twin Cities Paranormal Society out of Minnesota. Uh, my name is Blaine Duncan. I'm a paranormal investigator with the Twin Cities Paranormal Society, which is based out of the Twin Cities in, in Minnesota. I have been a paranormal investigator for, um, geez, it's been, a, it's been a while. It's been uh, probably about, it's got to be close to 20 years, you know, 18, 19 years, something like that. I, I grew up in a house that was, um, I don't want to say haunted. It was probably haunted, but there were just strange things that were happening. Um, things never really happened to me so much, but to my, uh, to my family. And I was just very interested in it, um, and began researching and reading everything I could. And, um, at about 15, 16 years old, I got really curious and started doing, uh, you know, my own investigations out of my own, going out to graveyards, uh, that kind of thing. And, um, at that time, uh, you know, the, the, the ghost hunting shows really kind of started to make a big boom. So that was sort of fueled my fire to continue to want to be in this, uh, in this realm. So yeah, it's been, it's been probably close to 20 years or so. Now, would you say that you've experienced quite a bit in those 20 years? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, my, uh, my view on this is that there's definitely something that happens, you know, after we die. What that is, I don't think any of us really have the answer to that, but there's definitely something that happens. And um, I've had a lot of really fun, really cool, really creepy experiences over the last 20 years. Um, and and I, I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about what we do is whether it's with a client that we're working with or whether it's with a, a team member who is maybe potentially skeptical or somebody who just doesn't really believe in what's happening when they hear something or see something that doesn't add up, that it's not normal, that it's paranormal. Um, just seeing their reaction is, is really a lot of fun for me. And, and it really just, again, it sort of drives that passion of mine forward. Yeah, that's pretty insane. I've only been a paranormal investigator for about 12 years, so I can't even imagine the experiences you've had along with how many cases you might've looked into. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, um, when I, I, when I first started, like I said, I was just a teenager and, and it was more just going to, you know, if I could find an abandoned building or if I could go to a graveyard, things like that. I was actually, um, probably doing things that I would never, uh, advise anyone to do. I was sneaking out of my house and going to, you know, the local cemetery at night and doing things like that. So, um, but then along the way, uh, I, I ended up joining another team here in Minnesota, and I was with them for a little bit. And then I, I did a lot of investigating on my own after that. I did some investigating with my brother. Um, and then just I've only actually been with uh, Twin Cities Paranormal Society for the last two years. And when I found them, it was just sort of like everything clicked, everything meshed. They had the same mindset that I did. Um, they were came to the table with a, you know, really a skeptical viewpoint, but we're, we're all believers for the most part. Um, and, and that's kind of what our motto is actually. It's, it's paranormal investigations with a critical eye in an open mind. So we, we are, we're believers, we're paranormal investigators. We know that something is out there that we don't understand, but we're also looking at it with a critical eye as well. 
And I think that's something really important to remember about paranormal investigation is not every house you're going to go to is haunted. You're not always going to find evidence that you're looking for, uh, unlike how things are so sensationalized on TV. Right, exactly. Well, and, you know, and as you know, you know, we, we see these TV shows that are on uh, on the, the television every single week, and um, some are better than others at really showing you what it's like to be a paranormal investigator. But if if someone who's never been on it, as you know, or, or who's ever been on an investigation, um, if they were to join us, they'd really see that it's a lot of, you know, sitting in dark rooms, and it sounds like we're talking to ourselves, and it's not this really flashy um, style that you see on TV that it really does take a lot of work. And we could go to, uh, you know, three, four, five cases before we actually find something that we're willing to hang our hat on and say, no, we, we can't explain this. This is, this is paranormal in our opinion. So there's a, a really a lot that goes into it. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of things that go into an investigation, maybe this is a good point for you to explain to my listeners or uh, those who don't know what kind of equipment you use and what goes into an investigation. So we, we carry a, a variety of equipment. Um, a lot of it we use more than others, but we have uh, cases upon cases that we, we bring in with us a lot of times. And, um, and, and I, I would say some of the most common things that we use are uh, probably the most common is, is our digital audio recorders, um, which I know you're familiar with. And that's something that we use on every single case. We bring in our, our, our digital audio recorders and hope to catch EVPs, which stand for electronic voice phenomena. And, and we've had some great results uh, with that. And that is, you know, something that we can't explain. We, we don't know why they speak to us at a different frequency and why it sometimes just sounds like whispers and why other times it sounds like screams um, or why sometimes it sounds like it's really far off and other times it's right in, in front of the recorder. So we, we use the audio recorders uh, basically every single investigation. Um, along with that, we have a DVR camera system. We actually just got a brand new DVR camera system that's awesome. Um, which is, you know, has the infrared technology so we can see in the dark. Um, and then, of course, we're using different, uh, you know, different kind of meters. We're using a K2 meter or a millimeter to check for uh, EMF, you know, EMF spikes. We, we usually try to go through and see if there's any EMF spikes throughout the location before we even get going just to kind of get a base reading for what's happening. Um, and then we, we at times will break out the spirit box um, and for you know, anyone who's not familiar with the spirit box, that it, it's it sweeps radio frequencies and it can do it forward or backwards. And uh, it, it can be pretty annoying at times, especially if you're, you know, sitting in this dark, quiet room and then you turn this thing on and it starts blasting. Um, but we, we use that every once in a while if, if, if the case kind of, um, you know, asks for it, I guess, for a better better term. But it we, we've also started doing uh, the, the Estes method. We've tried that a few times, which is, you know, you cover uh, your your eyes with, uh, you know, some sort of a blindfold. You hook up a pair of headphones to the spirit box, and just one person is hearing what's said while the other team members are asking questions. And um, I, I have unfortunately not had the opportunity to be in a case where we've used this yet, but I've heard some of the results, and it's pretty pretty creepy, pretty eerie, because the spirit box, in my opinion, can be very easily misinterpreted as something that's paranormal when it's really not, you know, it's, it's very easy to pick up, uh, you know, a radio frequency. And if you ask a question and you say, you know, what color is my shirt? And at that exact moment or in that time frame, you happen to sweep across something that sounds like blue. And I just happen to be wearing a blue shirt. You know, you can say, okay, that's paranormal, but realistically it's probably not. But again, we've had some really cool results with it, especially with this SS method. So I'm extremely excited to start, uh, you know, try that 
at, at some investigation in the future. Now, it's very interesting that you use uh, digital voice recorders. I do, too. But it brings up a question that I've heard discussed along the paranormal community, and that's uh, digital versus analog. Do you have an opinion on that? You know, I, I don't. Um, when I first started, um, I, I used analog. I, I had the, you know, using the old cassette uh, tapes. And part of me almost wonders, and it's something that I've wanted to experiment with, is um, you know, it, trying that again, you know, seeing, set up a digital recorder, um, and then set up a recorder that uses those cassette tapes and see if maybe you have better results with that. Because I know when I used to use those, I used to get results all the time. And I don't know if it has something to do with the, um, you know, magnetic material that's in the cassettes or, or what, but, um, I, I don't necessarily have an opinion on it other than I've used both and I've had results with both, but it'd be really interesting to try and experiment with you know an old cassette recorder uh, just to see what kind of results you might get from it. Now that leads me to another question I have for you and that is uh, how do you feel about the use of some of the older methods uh, such as using dowsing rods or things like a Ouija board? Yeah so um, the, the team doesn't, uh, TCPS doesn't use um, dowsing rods uh, or, or Ouija boards and, and um, you know there's there's obviously you know Ouija boards are a very controversial thing, right? I mean, there's some people who, yeah, who, who swear by them and, and say they're the best way to, to, you know, paranormal investigate and you can contact the dead and things like that. And then you have a whole opposite side that says it's, you know, the worst thing, don't do it because you're, you know, you don't know what kind of doors you can open up. Um, from the team's perspective, we don't, you know, we don't use a Ouija board. We always recommend that people don't use them because, again, if you're not experienced with what you're potentially dealing with, who knows what could happen, right? Who knows what kind of doors you could be opening or what you could be talking to. Um, so, so there's that side of it. Personally, you know, I've, I've used Ouija boards in the past. I've never had any real experience with them, um, you know, negative or positive. So I, I can't say that I have personally had anything bad happen to me because of using one, but I can certainly understand the stance of people who are, are, are frightened to use them because of things they've heard and uh, other people's experiences. So, Again, we don't use them. We don't necessarily condone any of our clients using them because we don't think that's a good idea for them if they don't know what they're doing. But, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's another method. Now, in contrast to that, I kind of wanted to know and get your take on some of the more modern methods um, that people are using in paranormal investigation, uh, more specifically like the use of apps. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, I have I, I've downloaded a few apps. I've I've downloaded a few free apps. I've downloaded or paid for um, a, a few apps, and you know I have a really hard time with anything that's on your phone because um, I, I just think it can be uh, you know something could be pre-populated with words. Um, it could be very easily manipulated by the designer of of the app. Um, so uh, as far as I'm aware, I don't think anybody on our team uses one. I know we don't use them. Uh, for any cases that we've been on, um, whether anyone uses one, you know, personally at home or things like that, we very well could. My my opinion is on them. Um, you know, I, I would rather stick with something that I know hasn't been tampered or altered um, by the designer of the app. You can go to GoStop.com and you can see all the different tools and equipment that are carried uh, out there, and and you can watch the TV shows. And it seems like there's a new, you know, the latest and greatest technology. There's something coming out all the time. Um, which is sort of just taking us closer and closer to the edge of potentially finding out what some of these things are that we're dealing with. 
And, uh, you know, to me, there's so many great things out there that we know that work that I just kind of, you know, I personally stay clear of any of the, the apps that are, you know, this especially free on your phone. Cause who, you know, who knows what, what those are, but, um, you know, any that could potentially be manipulated by, uh, you know, the designer of that app, just, I, I try to stay away from them. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I think that's uh, very insightful. It's really, really good knowledge to have for people who want to go into paranormal investigation. Uh, from here, I wanted to ask, um, what is the process? What does that look like starting to go? Sure. Yeah. So um, typically the way that it works is um, we get contacted normally either via our Facebook page or um, through email. People, you know, they go on and they Google search, uh, you know, a paranormal team in the Twin Cities. And, and our name is, is typically one that pops up kind of right away. So we get a lot of contacts uh, from potential clients and clients that we have um, and I would say, you know, this time of the year, and, and maybe you guys do too, um, it's pretty frequently, you know, we get, I would say, uh, in the last month, we've probably been contacted, um, you know, six or eight times uh, by, by someone who is, who's interested in having us either analyze uh, a piece of evidence that they think that they have or looking for us to come out and potentially do an investigation. So um, the way that it works is usually we, we have a team member that responds to them, and we try to get back to these people right away, especially if there's kids involved. Um, kids uh, take priority in in any of our cases. So so if there's kids involved, we try to get somebody um, you know in contact with them right away. And typically what that looks like is, is you know, there's some emails exchanged. Um, we, we do sort of a preliminary phone call at times just to, you know, sort of vet people out a little bit too because we've had people who've contacted us that, um, we know are trying to, you know, just pull our chain, so to speak. They, they're not really interested in, in what we're doing. They're just sort of trying to lead us on. So we want to make sure that it is a legit case that we're going out to before we actually commit to going out there. Um, and, and mainly that's for the safety of the team and, and the team members, just because, you know, we don't want to go out to somebody's house and, you know, have them be totally crazy. So we, we try to vet that out a little bit. And if, if everything seems like it's on the up and up, um, we'll usually send a couple team members out to the house um, or to the location and do just a pre- preliminary wa- preliminary walkthrough of uh, the location. Just talk to you know the homeowner or the business owner, whoever it is, and um, really hear from them what's going on. See the locations where these things are happening, and and just try to get a, a feel for the building, so to speak. Um, and and then at that point, once that information is gathered. Usually what we do is, as a team, we kind of come back and and discuss whether it's something that we want to pursue or not, if it makes sense, if we think it's easily explainable, um, or if there could actually be, you know, a haunting occurring. Now, I would almost say that that preliminary step is almost like an investigation of its own when you're looking into your client's background um, for reasons of, like, you know, keeping your team safe. Would you say that that's one of the most important steps? I I would say so, yeah. I, I think that's really important because it's a time when we can... Um, you know, we can gather a lot of information. You know, we, we do a lot of historical research on the property. Um, you know, we, we try to get as much information out of uh, the, the client or the potential client as possible just to, um, you know, again, we, we come at this with a critical eye because so much of, of what uh, people believe to be paranormal it can be easily explained. Um, there's, there's a lot of times just very easy answers to explain things. So we want to make sure that you know, we're not in the business of scaring people out of their houses, and, and we never want to be in that business. We want to go in. We want to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we're giving them the right answers, and we're not, we're not leading them astray. We want to let them know that 
we're, we're there to help them, number one. Uh, and then number two, that we're going to try to fix whatever problem uh, they have to the best of our ability. Now, what about cleansing? Let's say you have like a, like a client who has something going on at home um, and they just they want to get rid of it. Is this something that your team has experienced with? Is that like a service that you provide? Yeah. So a lot of times we um, when we get contacted by someone, um, uh, it, 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 they don't they aren't necessarily looking for um, an investigation. Sometimes they don't want an investigation. They just want to know what they can do to fix the problem. Um, and, and we have a, a spiritual advisor on the team. His name is Brady. He does an awesome job with um, clearing or cleansing um, or blessing of, of the location to try to get whatever is there to, um, you know, cross over or move on. And so he, he goes in and, and uh, he, he does this. Um, he has this process that he goes through and he's very successful. I mean, it's, it's actually pretty amazing to see how often he goes in and he does these these clearings and the activity just stops. It, it, it totally goes away. Um, and it's pretty rare that it ever even, you know, that we, we hear anything back from the client. Otherwise, it's it's, it's just he, he goes in and everything goes away. And it's, it's a really cool process. So we do offer that if, if we go in and either the client is saying, no, I don't want an investigation. Um, you know, I don't want my neighbors to see you guys walking around. I don't want them to think we're crazy. But we have this this thing happening in our house. Um, we can kind of go in just very, you know, uh, discreetly and go in and just say, hey, you know, we'll, 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 we can try to move on whatever is there. So or if we do a full investigation um, and we come back to the client, we say, here's what we found at that point. They they will say, you know, either, hey, I'm, I'm fine with it being here. Um, I just don't want it to hurt me or I don't want it to harm me um, or, you know, I want it to move on. Hey, thanks so much for joining us tonight, Blaine. I, I really appreciated it. Um, thank you so much for being on the show just in general. You had a lot of information. I'm sure that my listeners will really appreciate everything that you gave us tonight. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about where we can find information about what you do. Yeah, definitely. So you can go on to our Facebook page. Um, just look up Twin Cities Paranormal Society um, and feel free to reach out. You know, we love to hear from people who have had experiences. We love to... Um, have people send in things to us and, and have us analyze it. Um, otherwise, you can go to our website, which is www.tcpsmn.org. And uh, kind of the same thing. You can uh, sort of meet the team on there, see uh, see who we have on the team, um, read a lot of our history, our background. There's some evidence up on there, which is really cool. Um, and, and just see some of the cases that we've worked on. Now, I think that's a good spot to take a break, don't you? Today's episode was brought to you by Spotify. You like music, right? And let's face it, you love podcasts. Why not have both? On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place, for free. And you're not even required to go premium. Spotify is an extensive library of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Download episodes to listen to offline. Easily share what you're listening to with your friends through Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Whispers in the Night on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab and subscribe by clicking follow so you never miss an episode. Spotify, the world's leading music streaming service. And now, your go-to for podcasts. Welcome back. It's Whispers in the Night, part two of the show, The Fiction. 
Tonight's work of fiction explores what I feel is a very controversial way to explore the paranormal, through the use of apps. Now, everyone has their opinions on the use of apps with paranormal investigation, and I'm not here to dispute that, but uh, the narrator in tonight's story might have a fair warning for you. In tonight's story, written by Brandon Faircloth and performed by Sarah Lee and Henry Schrader, we're desperately warned, do not accept a download of the app, Polter Zeitgeist. I work as a clerk for a large northwestern law firm that is in the process of preparing a class action suit against the makers and distributors of a mobile app called Polter Zeitgeist Find That Ghost. Due to false names and information being utilised in the initial distribution of the application, the search for the responsible parties is ongoing so that the suit can be properly served on the defendants. In the meantime, I was tasked with going through the available materials and generating summaries and reports for the attorneys working on the case. What I found scared me enough that I felt that I needed to issue a warning while attempting to maintain some level of anonymity. I'll begin by giving a brief description of the app, Polter Zeitgeist, Find That Ghost, was originally distributed through various means online, with the publisher listed as Null143325. It was later discovered that this was not actually the name of any known publisher, but an error message generated when the required information was somehow removed from the databases of the platforms distributing the app. There is no known record of the actual name of the organisation or the people behind the app, and as I said, that investigation is ongoing. The app is described as a ghost hunting tool that uses crowdsourced EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, and citing reports to provide likely locations for paranormal activity, as well as activity-driven and streaming rewards for investigations and live streams. Basically, the app takes your data and that of others and uses it as a basis for suggesting places to look for ghosts. At the same time, it provides a form of metagame that rewards you with unlockable digital items cosmetics for your ghost hunter avatar and access to special forums when you post data and when you live stream your investigations through the app. The live streaming portion is wholly proprietary and the app does not work or give any ghost credits. If you are streaming through another service, the similarly viewing of a ghost hunter's live stream must be done through the app itself for optimal results. Attempts to watch someone else's phone or tablet through a different streaming service causes severe degradation of video quality caused by what our tech guy is calling intentional random sequence frequency modulation. I don't know what any of that means, but the practical effect is that as of three months ago, there were about 3,000 regular stream viewers using the app in the continental United States. Out of that, nearly 600 were watching Sam the Spook Hunter when he was murdered. Sam the Spook Hunter Morris was a low-tier internet celebrity for the paranormal investigator crowd before Poltergeist. Sam the Spook Hunter here with another investigation into the void. Join me tonight as we visit a location made possible for streaming by Poltergeist. He found a much stronger following as one of the first and best streamers on the app. Join me, won't you? His first few weeks of in-app streaming were unremarkable by most accounts. Then on June 29th, 2018, he started his stream very excited 
saying he thought he had just unlocked a secret location. Included below is my summary of this and subsequent streams that I prepared for work. I do not post this lightly or for entertainment value, but I hope it will serve as a better warning than I alone could provide. June 29th, 2018. Sam begins stream inside his apartment. He's clearly very excited. Guys, guys, Sam the Spook Hunter here. You have to check this out. After months of our ghostly encounters, I seem to have unlocked something. He says he has somehow unlocked a secret paranormal hunt called The Dark Path. He shows the app on his phone, leading to the assumption that he is streaming from another phone or tablet. Given that the app screen is clearly legible, it is to be assumed he was streaming through the app on the tablet. The app screen says, Welcome to, Welcome the, dark to path. the Dark Path. You have shown bravery, shown and, bravery ingenuity and ingenuity in your past, in your past investigations. investigations. And, and as a reward, you will be given the opportunity to visit four, four secret, secret locations that are known, that are known for supernatural activities and past atrocities. Are you strong enough, you strong to, enough make to make it to the end? Below this text, there was the low-resolution map used by the app to guide you to recommended locations. But unlike most users, Sam's map had a pulsing red star in one corner. He manipulated the map, sliding mm. towards the star and zooming in. He said that he guessed it was about like 40 miles away 40, and he was about to head out. 40-ish miles from here? Time to pack it up and take this thing live on the road. Within 10 minutes he was on the road, talking to viewers as he drove toward the destination. I feel it, guys. This is going to be it. Uh, what do you think? A anyone spooked already? At one point he stopped for gas, and it was at this time he caught up on reading the chat room attached to the live stream. Several viewers had searched online for information based on what his destination seemed to be, and no one had found anything remarkable. It was a quiet street in the suburbs with a small bus stop nearby. This didn't rule out something interesting being out there, but it was easy to see that Sam was starting to get worried his trip would be a bust. He begins to sing along with the radio and discuss possible fallback things to do on stream if the red star wound up being nothing. Well, if it's a bust, I suppose I could revisit a few old streams from the area on the way back. I don't want to leave you all empty-handed. But it wasn't nothing. Based on the available information, Sam arrived at the marked location at approximately 10.41 at night. After driving around the area slowly... He eventually parked and tried to zero in on the Red Star's location by foot. It didn't take long for the young man to realise it was taking him to the aforementioned bus stop, which amounted to little more than a pair of metal benches and a small overhang enclosure to keep waiting riders out of the weather. He entered the enclosure and panned the camera around, his forced excitement turning oh, into something more genuine. Out. Are you all seeing what I'm seeing? As he saw something on the edge of one of the benches... Zooming in, there was a small toy skeleton is... sitting on the bench. Oh, what the fuck? Its white plastic bones and skull had been smeared with something that looked like blood, and based on his reaction to it, it seems likely Sam truly thought it was blood as well. Next to the skull, a red word had been written on the metal. Oh, wait, there's something here. What? What? The first video ends there. July 3rd, 2018. Hey, everyone, Sam here. 
I just don't get it. I, I can't make heads or tails of my findings. This video begins with Sam explaining that he was somewhat troubled by what he had found, but he decided to go ahead with the investigation, noting that a second star had popped up on the map since he found the bus stop. But guys, there's another location on the map. Come with me, won't you? This portion you? of the video did not seem genuine. It seems likely that, as is a common cliché for both paranormal investigative performances and internet performances, Sam's fear and reluctance to continue were fake. The obvious reason for this is to generate dramatic tension and potentially make relatively mundane events appear more dangerous or interesting. This is in stark contrast to the earnest emotion he sometimes shows at other points in these videos. Again, he drives to the location of the star while streaming. This point is closer to his apartment, but it requires him to go into a closed construction site to find the exact location of the star. He appears to be truly nervous about trespassing, but in a perceived attempt at false bravado, he makes a point of moving slowly and casually past several pieces of heavy machinery on his way to an office trailer that had been set up by the construction company. Using his phone's light, he searches around the perimeter of the trailer to no avail. Sam then tries looking underneath it, but there was little access and nothing to be seen of note. At this point, he seems close to abandoning the search, but after viewing several encouraging messages in chat, try the door? he opts to try the doorknob of the trader instead. It opens easily and the interior is dark. Walking in slowly, you can hear his breath puffing nervously as he quickly shines his light around in a desperate search for whatever sign or clue might be there. It only takes a few seconds for him to find the small black cat toy nailed to the back of the door. What the? Similar to the skeleton, it is covered in what looks like blood. Similar to the skeleton, there is one word written in crimson above the tiny stuffed feline. Does. Mm, does. July 5th, 2018. This video is longer than the rest, as Sam spent some time at the beginning trying to explain and justify himself in reaction to several criticisms he had received after his earlier videos. Some people were complaining about him doing next to no investigation at the locations, likening it more to a televised scavenger hunt than the traditional ghost hunts his viewers were accustomed to. Others noted that he was taking unreasonable risks by following directions from an unknown source that clearly had been to the locations indicated. A handful just called the streams lame, or hoped, you get your fat ass locked up for trespassing. All of this clearly upset Sam, and he awkwardly tried to take up for himself by placating his fan base. He said that he was trying to play it safe, but that there also just hadn't been much to investigate other than the items and the words themselves. He did promise, however, that the first place he ran across that looked ripe for really exploring, he would do so. However, it wouldn't be that night. The third star was only 10 miles away at a public park. Sitting on the edge of a large stone fountain was a tiny clay pumpkin. And as expected, it was smeared with blood or something similar in appearance. This time there were two words. The ghost. July 12th, 2018. And I'm so sorry to leave you all hanging for so long. 
But your spook hunter is still here, and look, another location for me to check out. This stream also started with a kind of apology, this time for his absence. Sam explained that his father, who lived in the house next door, had recently had a severe stroke, so he had spent the last several days at the hospital and helping his dad transition to a nursing home for rehab. It appears that he is close to tears at this point, but he quickly turns it around by talking about the latest message he received in the app. As before, he shows the screen in the video so the audience can read it. It said, Congratulations, Congratulations. you have made it it to the the final final turn on the dark dark path. path. Your Your final final Red Star Star location will appear at precisely 9pm PST. Good luck. Good luck. Despite his earlier sadness, Sam seemed truly excited and nervous about reaching the end of the strange game. He commented that he had twice as many live viewers as he'd ever had before, and it's clear from his conversation with people in his chat room and his overall demeanour that he doesn't want to let them down. He also discusses what the dark path could really be. It was clear it wasn't really a collection of traditional haunts, and Sam agreed with many of his viewers that it was most, most likely, likely a, a promotional, promotional contest, contest of some, of some type, type to get the, to get the word out, out about, about the app. app. As 9pm came on, he excitedly showed the tablet's camera the appearance of the new red star. It was only after talking for a few seconds and studying the map that his enthusiasm faded. The red star was next door at his father's house. He gave a nervous laugh when he realised this, and there was a moment when he looked into the camera and you could see real fear in his eyes. Wait, wait a minute, this, this can't... This, this can't be real. But then he seemed to shake it off somewhat and started making jokes about how big a deal he must be if they set up the end of the contest this close to his house. He pauses again as he reads his chat room and that fearful, haunted look briefly returns to his face. He says several people are telling him not to go over there. Many of you are saying not to go over there. Call the police? That something wasn't right, and he should call the police. He seems to weigh the suggestion before rejecting it, smiling nervously into the camera as he gets up to go over to his father's house. It'll be okay, guys. I promise. Besides, I have you all to protect me if it gets too scary, right? July 12, 2018. Continued on second camera. Based on the change in image quality and comments by Sam, it appears he abandoned the tablet and began using his phone as his primary streaming device for his journey next door. While not explicitly stated, it can be assumed from the circumstances in Sam's behaviour that he wanted less restrictions on his attention and movement during this last leg of the dark path, and managing two electronic devices was too unwieldy. He leaves his apartment and walks next door to a small grey house with peeling paint. After taking a moment to survey the empty street, he walks to the front door and lets himself in. He immediately attempts to turn the lights in the front hall on, but they don't work. You can hear him curse softly as his breath begins to pick up speed. Things are finally getting really spooky, guys, guys. he says with a shaky laugh. After a moment of looking around the phone's small flashlight, he moves further up the dark hall. At this point he has moved past a narrow set of stairs going up to a second floor and has reached the intersection of three doorways. To the left is an open doorway into what looks like a living room from the shadowy glimpses that the camera affords. To the right is a doorway covered by a long curtain, likely a closet or storage area of some kind. Straight ahead is a white door that Sam says leads into the kitchen. 
He is about to open it when he notices something above the kitchen door. Uh, well, looky here. The final clue. It is a small ghost that had been fashioned out of dried cornstalk leaves. It wears a small black velvet bow tie and would have been very cute if not for the blood coating it and the wall around it. Written to the left of the bloody ghost is... Say. Say? What, what does, does the, ghost the ghost say? say? What does the ghost say? The phone is shaking some by this point, and it seems like Sam might be having second thoughts about being in the dark house by himself. He sits silent for several moments, shining his light around in the dark, before muttering the completed phrase as though trying to solve the unknown puzzle of it all. What does the, what ghost, does the say? ghost say? Boo! Suddenly, a large form rushes out from behind the curtain to his right. There's only a glimpse of the figure. As Sam drops his phone and starts no, screaming, no, no, no! But it appears to be a massive man wearing some kind of prosthetic or mask to make himself appear monstrous. When the video is slowed down, there's also some indication of a weapon, though it cannot be clearly discerned beyond appearing to be metallic and heavily serrated. There is a moment of chaos as Sam's screaming, the sounds of a struggle, and finally a wet, tearing noise occurs off camera. Then the live stream is dead. The audience of that stream had mixed reactions to what they had witnessed. Many thought it was a joke or a sham orchestrated by either Sam, the app developer, or both. Others were genuinely concerned and called authorities either in their own areas or Sam's. There was a brief criminal investigation, but no sign of Sam or his phone was ever found. The only reason we even have a recording is due to one of the viewers having figured out a way to record the streams directly from his phone. And Sam's father died from a follow-up stroke two days after the last video, so there was no one to even file a missing persons complaint on him. Officially, nothing has happened to Sam. But how, then, did our firm get involved in it? We can't file a lawsuit on behalf of a missing or murdered man, because since the night Sam reached the end of the dark path, five more people have disappeared. Two of them caught on stream, the other three known users of the app, but not streaming at the time whatever happened to them happened. It was only after six people have been lost that it was taken seriously. Complaints were filed, the apps were removed from most platforms, and criminal investigations were started and then stopped again due to claims of insufficient evidence. After talking to three of the families of the missing, our firm started work on a class action lawsuit for any and all parties injured by the app and whatever lies behind it. The problem is, it's not really over. The app doesn't need to be widely distributed so long as some people continue using it. We started getting in reports last week that it uses your contacts to email and text out links to new download sites for the app. As of yesterday, the usage rate was up to over 8,000. So I'm posting this as a warning. Stay away from the app. Tell your friends and family to do the same. And if you get an invitation, well, I don't know what to tell you. I got my invitation by text three hours ago. It was via a friend I haven't seen since college, but keep up with through social media. I didn't even know she had my phone number, but now I know she does, that they do, and they probably have much more than that. I'm giving my notice tomorrow, 
and I think I'm going to use a burner phone for a while. Unplug a bit. Stay in with the doors locked. Not that I'm worried I'd ever go to visit the ghost. I've seen far too much to fall for that. I'm just worried that the ghost may come to see me. Let's take a break from fiction to talk about something real. Your true paranormal story. Have you ever had something strange happen to you that you can't completely explain? A true paranormal story? Have you experienced strange lights in the night sky? Perhaps you've spent a night in a dusty old inn out in the countryside only to make contact with a previous guest who apparently never left. Is there something odd lingering in the woods behind your home? Maybe the phenomena you're experiencing is a little more strange. Does any of this sound familiar? Maybe you have a true paranormal story of your own. Connect with us. We'd love to hear it. True Paranormal Story is a segment that we're adding to the podcast on our off weeks to feature listener stories of the strange and unexplained. Email Nikki at trueparanormalstory at gmail.com with yours today, and it could be shared on the podcast. True paranormal story. We look forward to hearing from you. You know, the longer I do this podcast, the more I create episodes and conduct research into the histories and folklore of the paranormal. I find that more and more people seem to have a story to share when it comes to the topics that we dive into. It doesn't take much either. Things like this usually just sort of kind of, you know, they come out when I'm getting to know people. And it could be through casual conversation, or sometimes even through the interviews that I have for the show, but it seems like everyone has a story of something strange that has happened to them at some point or another. Whether you're a complete believer in the supernatural, or, or maybe you're just a skeptic, everybody has something. Speaking of uh, his, his old house being haunted, we're pretty sure this house that we're in right now is haunted as well. And uh, his, so in, in one of our episodes, we mentioned that one of his dogs was very skittish about the house, and it, like, we would let it, it would beg to go outside, and then it would not want to come back in, and you'd have to literally go pick it up and bring it inside and it was shaking and like whining because it didn't want to come in here and one night Haskell went to the basement and in the basement shower he turned on the light in the bathroom and his dog was sitting in the corner facing the corner this is Pascal and Lauren of Minnesota Mysteries a podcast out of hello Minnesota uh in each episode, they explore a different place in the state that has some connection or history with the paranormal. They look into, well, Minnesota mysteries. Okay, so I am Pascal. Hi, my name is Lauren. Uh, I'm his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so we look into paranormal or true crime or folklore in Minnesota. It's Minnesota mysteries, so we, we stick to Minnesota. 
we look up cases like that, and then we kind of do some research and look into the history, and then we look into reports that people have given, do a lot of research, and, and see what we can make out of it and what's our take and our opinion on the stuff that we've found and try and, and sort of make it into a presentable story and then kind of comment on that. So I'm more skeptical, I would say, and Lauren is more of a believer. I mean, I guess by definition, yes. I more so do than don't. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're kind of both. We don't, we're not all or nothing. They spirits over go, the word you want to, that's the word I want to use. I think that a lot of the stuff, there is a logical explanation behind it. There's a lot going on there, you know what I mean? And there, I'm a spiritual person, and I do believe in spirits and things like that. So I would say sometimes yes, but other times there's a lot of publicity and, and just rumors and stuff like that. And that kind of, I feel like, clouds the real stuff that's going on. So sometimes... It's hard to find the, the truth. He's more spiritual, like, in the way where it's, like, he thinks that maybe a relative is coming to, like, wish him well. And if a and if a ghost nah. is, is out and about, he's like, no way, Jose. I don't know about it. I don't that. think so. I just nailed you down, buddy. That's exactly I so. that. I am one hundred. So. I've never mentioned a relative right. coming I, or anything well, like that. I might have been grasping straws there but um yeah I guess that like usually I'm well well, I'm a scaredy cat so that and then also like I am the one who wakes up in the middle of the night because I think there's someone standing in the corner watching me or I heard something or you know what I mean and then but then I wake him up not like I don't like wake him up like Pascal 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 but I, I wake him up by like suddenly I'm like up against him. Swift. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, but I like, I, I suddenly like grab him tighter in the middle of the night and he like, the next morning he's like, you were scared last night, weren't you? And I'm like, yes. but so I guess, I guess really it's not a question of who's the skeptic and who's the believer. It's who's the scaredy cat and who can, who can stick it out. Now, a husband and wife duo seems like the perfect setup for a podcast. I mean, who else would you have a good enough chemistry with to talk about things like this organically? Uh, Someone who you can click with enough to return to the microphone with for each episode. I mean, why not? We knew we wanted to do a podcast um, because we have just fun banter in general, we think. I mean, everyone thinks that they have fun banter and then <laughs> we find out otherwise. But um, but so we thought we had a really interesting kind of dynamic going on just as is because we're so different yet so alike and we are able to put aside differences that other people cannot wrap their heads around. Like religion is a huge deal for a lot of people and um, it's kind of in the same uh, like zone as like politics and you know what I mean where it's it's kinder and we still have really good debates and respect each other's opinions so originally we were like oh we could do a podcast about that but then I was like I don't know like we so many people just have podcasts where they talk about nothing <laughs> so I can't do that and um, we were watching uh, we watch BuzzFeed Unsolved which is like yeah. The one thing on BuzzFeed we'll watch, and even that we're embarrassed to admit. 
Um, but we were having such a fun time watching it and we're like, you know what, we should do this. Like, we enjoy this. This is fun for us. And, um, we, you know, our niche could just be Minnesota specific. And that's that was the birth of it. So Minnesota Mysteries, great podcast, great episodes if you give them a listen. Uh, but I just wanted to backtrack a little bit. Uh, like I was saying earlier, everyone has a story, right? One of my favorite episodes of Minnesota Mysteries looks into a story that hits a little too close to home. Uh, Pascal's home, in fact. Uh, season 2, episode 1, check it out. Uh, like I said earlier, though, whether you are a skeptic or a believer, everybody has a story. I was I lived in a haunted house, classified by the city. My family has said... It's haunted, and my parents have both said they've seen ghosts. I have not seen a ghost. I have not seen any paranormal stuff. But it's classified by the city. Like, when they sell it, anytime that house sells, you have to they have to disclose that. it's haunted. Yep. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Like, realtors, like, the government, like, people are, like, putting on paper, stamping it, being, like, haunted. <laughs> so, an old lady actually died in the house. Yeah, I haven't seen anything, but both my parents have said they have seen that old lady just kind of drifting through the second floor hallway. His so. mom would hear, hear someone whispering in her ear at night, too. And then <laughs> his sister just moved home like a week ago. And uh, she told me, she was like, I, she was like, I'm hearing some haunted shit in this house. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, the room next to mine, which is the room that Pascal used to stay in, she heard a girl crying, and she thought it was his other brother's, like, girlfriend, and, like, maybe they got in a fight, and she was in there crying, and she went in and looked, and there was nobody there, but she was like, I distinctly heard a girl crying in that room, and then she's also heard things, like, moving around and, like, knocking in that room, and which is funny, because I told you, when we were staying in that room, I was like, I don't want to be in here by myself. I had a bad feeling about it. I was like, this is a haunted house, pretty sure. I stayed in there. A long time and didn't have any problems. I slept like a baby. It was nice. Pretty sure if you're skeptical, you're less likely to see stuff, though. You know what I mean? Why would you want to be open to demons and ghosts harassing you at night, though? <laughs> demons and ghosts harassing me at night? Uh, no, thanks. Hard pass here. So maybe when it comes to their beliefs regarding the paranormal, they're neither here nor there, and that's okay. I think the best part of their show is the back and forth that the two have to offer regarding the topics that they cover. But Lauren and Pascal do a different kind of investigation into the paranormal. Though they don't bust into a place with their flashlights and digital voice recorders blazing, uh, no cheesy theme music in the background, the two of them investigate the histories and happenings of Minnesota and share them on their podcast. It's a gig that they both love and enjoy. Uh, when I asked them about their favorite things to cover in their episodes, uh, this is what they had to say. I liked talking about uh, Grey Cloud Island just because I had personally been there. And I that one I had been to and we did go there like back in the day, uh, me and some like high school kids. For I was in high school too. I wasn't just going with high school kids, <laughs> uh, but we went there for the sake of like ghost hunting and to see if any paranormal was there. And I was such a chicken shit. I couldn't get out of the car. I couldn't do anything. Like I, the entire time, as soon as we got on the land, I was like, "Get me the hell out of here, please." 
And so that one is probably the most fun for me to the most fun for me to talk about just because I have my own personal experience. But when it comes down to re-listening to any of our episodes, I always my favorite ones are always something that Pascal's told me. Like I love him telling me about the the rune stone. <laughs> Uh, the Minnesota Runestone with the Vikings. That was one of my favorite ones too, but I also liked the Wendigo. <laughs> I just like the monsters a lot too. It's fun to think that there's a monster out there. Uh, not that I do, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say I don't know. Yeah, probably the Wendigo. That's that might be my favorite one. Just the idea of it. It's dark and there's a lot of cannibalism in in history across different cultures and in different situations survival situations so that i don't know that was that was probably my favorite one really yeah out of all of them not to listen to and that not our quality wise no i know but just all in terms of topics i think that was my favorite well he's never given me a straight answer before so this is the first time i'm hearing this too (laughs) because i've asked him several times which has been your favorite episode so far but it's tough yeah the wendigo one was really good though i like i like the wendigo one Once again, that's Pascal and Lauren from Minnesota Mysteries Podcast. You can find them anywhere that you tune in to your favorite shows. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the show. As always, it's always great to have you here enjoying what I do. This episode of Whispers in the Night was researched, written, and produced by me. If you're looking for more Whispers in the Night, join us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search the words Whispers Podcast to find us and join on our community. Special thanks tonight to Blaine Duncan from Twin Cities Paranormal Society for stopping by to share his expertise and his experiences with the show. Thanks also to Pascal and Lauren from Minnesota Mysteries for joining us tonight. Did you enjoy having them as much as I did on the show? Maybe you're wondering where you could find more of what they do. Well, we are on uh, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify, SoundCloud. I search think we're on, Minnesota Mysteries. Yeah, Player FM. If you just search Minnesota Mysteries into your Google or Bing, I hope you're not using Bing or Ask Jeeves. <laughs> Uh, you'll find us. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and then we're on uh, we're on Instagram at Minnesota Mysteries. Our Facebook is Minnesota Mysteries, obviously. And um, yeah, we don't have a Twitter because fuck Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks also to Brandon Faircloth, who's behind tonight's work of fiction. Do not accept a download of the app, Palter Zeitgeist, which is narrated tonight by newcomer Sarah Lee with help of Henry Schrader. You can find this as well as many other stories of his creation in his books that are available on Amazon. I'll leave a link in the show's notes. Listening to the show is made possible by Anchor. And lastly... I want to thank you, my listeners, for making this show possible. Remember, you can support what I do in a number of ways. Leave me a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or now Podchaser. Tell your friends. Merch is also available if you're looking to sport our sweet logo. Uh, we're also on Patreon, and you can support the show on Coffee. As always, 
you can find clickable links to all of what I've mentioned in the show's notes. So thank you so much, and good night. Happy Halloween.